0: God, you are our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Because of this, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Nations rage and kingdoms totter, but you utter your voice and the earth melts, Lord of hosts, you are with us. O God of Jacob, you are our fortress. We read of your works, O Lord, how you have brought desolations on the earth. You make wars cease to the end of the earth. You break the bow and shatter the spear. You burned the chariots with fire. We must be still and know that you are God. You will be exalted among the nations, you will be exalted in the earth. O Lord of hosts, you are with us. O God of Jacob, you are our fortress. And most great and just and gracious God, you are of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. You condemn the ungodly, unrepentant, and unbelievers. But you have promised mercy through Jesus Christ to all who repent and believe in him. Therefore, we confess that we are sinful by nature, that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have neglected and abused your holy worship and your holy name. We have dealt unjustly and uncharitably with our neighbors. We have not sought your kingdom first and your righteousness. We have not been content with our daily bread. You have revealed your wonderful love to us in Christ and offered us pardon and salvation in him. But we have turned away. We have run into temptation and the sin that we should have hated, we have committed. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. We confess that you alone are our hope. And we thank you, Father, that in your word we read that you so love the world, that you sent your only Son, that whoever believes in you should not perish, but have eternal life. Please, by, the power, by your power and for your glory this morning, grant healing to several who have severe and mostly constant pain. Our desire is that you would relieve them of their pain, but they remind us of the work you are doing in them through the pain, and we pray that you be with them now. Be with those who've received difficult news in the last few days and weeks. Be their refuge Their strength and their comfort. Remind them that you are with them. And let us extend care and comfort in meaningful ways to them. For we love them and we are sad with them. And Father, if there is anyone here who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, you would bring them to repent of their sins and trust in you alone for salvation. Bless those who are on the Mexico Missions team. Use them to bless others. Grow them in Christ through their time and their work there. Bless our brothers and sisters at Ellensburg Presbyterian Church and Pastor Al Sandalo. Bless them as they look for another pastor down the road. As Pastor Al will move into retirement at some point soon, and would you cause the body to be a biblically saturated people? Move in South Hills Church in Kennewick and Through the word preached by Pastor Scott Paulson, help them as a body to remain steadfast, immovable, always abounding in your work. Grant grace to Bob and Teresa Reister, who are our missionaries in Japan. Bless them as they have seen over the last few years, several teammates, interns, and fellow workers come to work with them as a team in Japan. Give them grace to get along well with one another to grow with each other, and utilize their gifts uniquely to see the Japanese come to be saved in their region. Would you bless the preaching of your word here this morning? Help us to submit to it, and for you to be glorified in all that we do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 this morning. Philippians chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 9 through 11. As you're turning there, I want to say thank you for so many of you as you pray and care uh, for my family and for me as I'm going through this doctoral work. Yesterday, I was able to submit the final work to get halfway done with coursework, and it is really encouraging to know that as a body, you are praying and caring for us. You're allowing time, financial resources as a church uh, to bless it. And we continue to pray that the Lord would grow us as a church through it. But I appreciate all of uh, your prayers and kind words in the midst of it. This morning we'll be in Philippians chapter 1. And if you would stand with me, we'll read verses 9 through 11 together. Kind of feel bad. The other readings that Bobby and Garrett had this morning were like 16 verses, and I get three. So, verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. We don't normally give a title, or at least let it be known, put on the website, things like that. But this morning, we want to look at this idea of growing in love for the glory of God. Growing in love is Paul's prayer for the church, but ultimately for the glory of God. Growing in love for the glory of God. This morning, this is Uh, sermon as we're continuing through the book of Philippians, we've already seen so far that in each of these sections, the gospel transforms everything. As we've seen, uh, Gary several weeks ago pointed us back to Acts chapter 16 with the planting of the church in Philippi. We saw a group of people who came to know the Lord and their lives were transformed by that. We saw a jailer whose life was transformed in the way that he who was putting people in prison and hurting them when he did so, Paul and Silas being uh, candidates that were used at that time in that reading. And yet God transformed his life to be one who cared for them, whose whole family, it says, came to faith was baptized. We see the story there in Acts chapter 16 and, and know that it's about a dozen years later, 10 to 12 years, that Paul now is writing to the church as Epaphroditus has come and delivered another gift from this church to him, He wants to express his thanks for that. But there's also the ability as a pastor to write and encourage them to continue. And the gospel that has transformed them in salvation is continuing to transform them every day. They are saints in Christ. The gospel who took sinners and made them saints. There's humility and unity in the gospel. They have partnered with Paul even in the midst of difficulty. Paul mentions a deep affection that he has for these believers. Those whom God has begun this great work in, he will complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. And here this morning, as we just read in verse 9 through 11, we see that Paul's prayer is that they would, their love would abound more and more. He is praying for them. He prays for the church. If you read other letters that Paul writes in the New Testament, you will regularly see. Paul writing of prayers that he is praying for the church, or even things that he will say, this is an answer to prayer that we have seen. You'll notice he's regularly including as part of a letter, he's praying for them, but it's not always the same prayer. It's unique to the people that he's writing to. He prays differently for each church. Each church has unique concerns or needs that the others might not be struggling with or that he's not moved to pray for them in the same way, just like I will pray differently this morning than Pastor Bobby did. Or next week, one of our elders will pray in the pastoral prayer a little bit different based on what has gone on in the week or how God is moving in him to pray. Our elders observe this pattern that we get from Paul and the way that we pray for other churches, as we did this morning, as part of the pastoral prayer. We don't pray for all churches in the same way. We might not know specifically how that church may be struggling or what areas in particular they need to be growing in, but we can know based on the human condition, what we see in culture, how they need to stand firm for the truth, grow in holiness, pursue Christ, continue to make the gospel the center of all that they do in the midst of their ministry. As Paul's writing to churches, he's letting them know that he is praying for them. You imagine the kindness as you receive a letter as a church and as it would be read out loud to the entire church all in one sitting to know that the Apostle Paul, who's in prison right now, writing to your church, is praying for you. What a kindness and an example for us. Are we praying for churches? Are we praying for churches right here? in our own city? Are we praying that other churches, that by the ministry of the gospel, other churches in our city would continue to see growth within their body and not see that as something competitively that irks us or bothers us in any way? As the kingdom of God is much larger than just Liberty Bible Church in Ellensburg, I know it can be hard to believe sometimes. But as the kingdom of God is far bigger than our church here in this city, we ought to be, as God's people, praying that other churches would be reaching the lost in our city as well. We desire to see God's kingdom advance. We, in our abilities and our circles of influence that God has given to us, can't and won't reach everyone. And we desperately desire that other believers in our city who desire to see the gospel go forward would be reaching their neighbors, would be... Sharing the gospel with those who are lost. Other churches would be built up and edified and strengthened and encouraged. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Do we pray that God would continue to work in our church? For those who call this church home, do we pray for the church? Do we pray that in all that we do that we would give glory to God? And that is the first importance to us. Do we pray that we would never stray from God's word in our preaching, teaching, and practice, that we maintain and guard sound doctrine? Do we pray for our pastors? Do we pray for them as people who are husbands, fathers, and neighbors, as well as for their vocation here at Liberty? Do we pray for their health, for their joy, for their spiritual growth, for their wife, for their children? Do we pray that they say no to sin? Pray that they are growing in spiritual disciplines. Pray that they are sharing the gospel with those they come into contact with, doing exactly what they ask you to do. Are we praying that our pastors would be doing the same? Do we pray for one another? We, the body, make up the church, but do we pray for one another? Now, I know and I'm confident when I send out an email of somebody who needs prayer that this church is one that will take that seriously and will be praying for those who are in real difficulty. But what about the people sitting next to you? Do you learn names intentionally so you can be praying for them? Pray for one another. Pray that they would know the Lord. Pray that they would grow in Christ. Pray that they would walk in the Spirit. Pray for their marriages. Pray for their children. Pray they would share the gospel with their neighbors and their family. You see, prayer doesn't assume things about each other, and prayer does not offend. Don't think, well, I don't know that person enough to pray for them in detail. You can either get to know them better and ask them how you can pray for them, or you can just pray for them in the way that you would want someone to be praying for you. Don't let not having details keep you from praying. Paul doesn't. It's not likely that Paul received a text message or an urgent email to be praying for the church in Philippi. How long did it take Epaphroditus to get to him? Quite a while. He almost died on the way. So that might have slowed him down a bit, right? He didn't have all the details, and he didn't need to have all the details. But asking God to move and to work in the lives of other believers in the way that God knows that we might not. Being able to pray for one another. Knowing that Paul is praying for this church. To be reminded to pray for our brothers in Christ. Pray for the church. Pray for other churches in our city. Pray for other churches in our church association. We can give you a list of other churches. That are Church Venture Northwest churches. You can also go online and see the region of churches. And just be praying that God would continue to move in them. And grow them and bless them. Well how does Paul pray here for this church? It'll be instructive for how we pray and live in relationship with one another. Well, two ways. One is Paul prays that they would grow in love more and more. That's it. Technically, one thing, Paul prays for this church. It's a great thing, but it's only one area, and that is that they would be growing more and more in love. Love God? and love others. Did you notice that while Paul gives other instructions here in Philippians 1 for the church, in their love, he did not mention the object. He did not tell them who or what to love. It would be more than appropriate to say that the object of love, because it is not stated, is everything. Love is central to Jesus' commands for us. When asked what is the greatest commandment of all of them... Jesus summarizes the whole Old Testament and its laws by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That could be what Paul has in mind. As he says, your love ought to be abounding more and more with wisdom and discernment. It is not just that Paul wants them to love each other, show unity with one another, be kind and serve one another. He wants that. But here, in other places in the New Testament, he wants them intentionally to abound or increase in their love. He doesn't want them to stay at the same level of love towards God and towards one another. He wants them to grow or to increase in love. This is seen in a few other places within the New Testament. Let me point them out to you. You can write down the reference, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Paul, writing to Timothy, says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. You notice the language there. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. 2 Timothy chapter 1, writing to the same person, but the second letter, verse number three, we ought always to give thanks to God for you. As is right, brothers, because of your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Paul's encouraged by their love actually is increasing, and they're seeing it. So may the Lord make you increase, Timothy. And then in the second letter, he follows up, we are seeing that your love is increasing. Would anyone that knows us from one year to the next be able to say the same as a church and as individuals who make up the bond? At 1 Peter chapter 1, verse, verses 5 through 11 gives a lot of different characteristics for The people of God, as Peter is writing to them in exile, and he says in verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control. Self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. You notice he said a few verses earlier, make every effort to supplement your faith with these characteristics. Every effort, a lot of work going into this, not a stagnant staying the same. Verse 8, as he continues on in 1 Peter chapter 1, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or well, for the believer, that's always our goal, right? To not be ineffective or unfruitful, but to be fruitful and effective. And if these qualities are yours and increasing, not staying the same, but continuing to grow and abounding more and more. He goes on in verse nine, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted, he is blind. Having forgotten, he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent... Confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. All of a sudden, just like Paul does in Philippians chapter 1, Peter connects the way in which we're increasing in qualities of godliness to our perseverance in the end. Paul, in the way that he talks about it, verse 11 says, or excuse me, verse 10, that you might be pure and blameless for the day of Christ until that day that God would continue to grow you, increasing your love, that you will be pure and blameless. Verse 11, that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, that you would continue to persevere until the end. Remember that work that God has begun in you would continue until he brings it to completion at the day of Christ. Both Peter and Paul are writing about how believers in different places must be increasing in their holiness, increasing in obedience, increasing in their faith, and increasing in their love. Don't be content with yesterday's growth. Don't be content with yesterday's grace, but continue to increase and abound more and more in your love. I wonder if this is why some of us might struggle with the same sin habits continually, frustrated. We aren't finding relief or release from them. Maybe it's because that sin has such a strong hold because of years of pattern or habit. But maybe, too, it's because your love for God is not increasing Not only is there a need in all of us to grow in our hatred of sin and the sins that so easily entangle us, but we also need to grow in our love towards God and His ways, to grow in love for His Word, to grow in love for His laws, to grow in love towards the church, towards His world, and so much more. It might not be so much that we don't hate sin as much as we aren't growing in love, Do we ever look at our heart and evaluate areas that it needs growth or areas it is growing stronger in? How do we see that? How do we evaluate that? Paul prays that they would grow in love. We ought to ask ourselves the same question. Are we growing in love? Unless we begin to think wrongly that Paul wants us to love everything all the same, he gives two qualifiers. Two qualifiers or directions in which he hopes their love will grow. As he mentions in verse 9, that their love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment, with wisdom and tactfulness, with wisdom and discernment, the ability to see, to know what is right, what is good, what is wise. Someone might have been tempted to think that Paul wants me to grow in my love towards everything. So I love the same thing. I love in the same way. I love everyone the same. Whatever I love, that I would grow in my love for that. I already love cheeseburgers, so I need to grow more in my love for cheeseburgers. Honestly, I don't know if I could grow in that. It's already kind of at the top. That's not right, right? He quickly puts up guardrails to keep our hearts increasing in a godly direction. Love accompanied by wisdom and discernment looks like loving God who is the author of all wisdom, reading and obeying Scripture because it is God's wisdom, what He wants us to know and how He wants us to live. If you are not regularly reading the Bible, at least most days of the week, then that is how today I think God wants you to grow and increase in your love towards Him by continuing to meet with Him, by continuing to sit under His Word. But also, growing in wisdom and discernment acknowledges that not all people and things should be loved, and that not all things should be loved the same way. You should not love Satan. You're going, right, we understand that. You should not love things that are harmful to you or to others. You should not love car accidents. Okay? These are easy ones, right? We're throwing softballs now. But you should also not love your elderly neighbor lady in the same way you love your mother. You should not love a guy at work the same way in which you love your husband. Not at all. Not at all wise. Shows little to no discernment. This is not always intuitive. But Christians cannot love everyone who comes into the church in the same way, and neither should they. In this way, we can learn some discernment, I think, from new parents. You watch a new parent who has a little seven-pound tax deduction, (laughs) loves this little cuddly thing. It's wonderful and beautiful. It's a gift from God. New parents love their baby, want nothing to happen to them, so they swaddle them so that they can't scratch themselves. They put... Plastic things and electrical outlets so they don't stick their fingers in them. They teach them also about strangers. That parent loves people in general, but they have a specific love for their child that shapes how they view and love everyone else around them. It's appropriate. It's loving. They wouldn't be a loving parent if they didn't care and set up protection or teach or train their children in any way. If they didn't show any discernment in the way they loved others, they could be accused of not loving their child. The person who comes here for the very first time and is not known at all by our church, we can love them and ought to love them as a human being, as a visitor, with dignity and respect, joyful they have come into our doors, for sure. But it does not mean that the very first Sunday we give them the keys to the nursery and ask them to watch our children, right? No, that's not loving to them. One, they're a guest. Thanks, put me to work right away. But secondly, it doesn't love our children at all or our parents who've entrusted our children to workers who have been vetted, who have background checks, who have been trained. It's unloving to try and be so loving in that way. Because the person, uh, parents are wanting us to protect their children. They're not thinking that we will, anyone will harm our children, but we don't know the person yet. And they're not expecting it. And neither are we or our families. It is discerning and wise. It is also wisdom that says we are not all at the same place in how we love and who we love and to what degree we are comfortable loving someone. There's grace amongst a body this size to know that not everyone is at the same level of love and increasing in love or the desire to increase in their love. I might know someone way more because I spend time with them. They might be in my life group and so on, where your familiarity with them is not nearly as known. It would be understandable that I would have a a love or a way of relating to them that might be different than yours. It is understandable that not expecting everyone to give us the keys to their house the very first time that we meet them, and yet being able to be assured that we love them as a human being, as a brother or sister in Christ, but trusting that as a believer, that growing, that their love is growing and increasing towards one another. We should not, as Christians, have the same measure of difficulty with loving someone or the things of God that we did this time last year. We should be recognizing and evaluating, having measures, things in which we can evaluate, how am I growing in my love for this person or this discipline that God desires more than I was last year? We should be increasing and growing, abounding. Let me just point out that of all the things that Paul could have said here, that our love should be growing with, he says, wisdom and discernment, not our expression or our outward display of love, not our words only, but wisdom and discernment that comes from God. Discernment sees through mere words and outward performances and can discern if love is genuine or not. So let your love be measured and genuine. Let it be honest and discerning. Let it be growing and abounding more and more. Love those who walk through the doors of our church, no matter what they look like, smell like, or talk like, because you once were new and walked through the doors for the very first time, and you were loved, no matter all of those things as well. Love them as Jesus would. Love them genuinely as a person. And as you grow in loving guests, Maybe even loving having them sit next to you or having them over to your house for lunch. Remember, growing and increasing in love towards one another, not at the same pace as everybody else, but according to the measure that Christ has given and granted to you by His grace. Love those whom you see weekly and gather with in your life group. Love them as a person. Love them as a Christian. Love them as one who is hopefully increasing and abounding in love too. You and they are in process of growing in love. You are not perfect in how you love each other, but you are working on it. Being able to be honest about that. The difficulties that we might face with one another, interpersonal conflict it's called, of which all of us would love to avoid, might have to recognize that you, your pace of growing and abounding in love is not equal to someone else's pace that you might have difficulty growing and abounding in love towards. And they you, and being able to give grace, being able to love them, in the midst of even what seems like as much as you have effort towards them, is not being reciprocated in the same way, not being reciprocated even maybe at all. Just because I decide to grow in abounding in love towards you does not mean that you will see the same desire to increase in love towards me. It's not easy. Brothers and sisters, when Paul writes to a whole church, however big they are, five or 50 or 500, to say grow in abounding in love more and more, there's very, very real practical things that all of a sudden come to our mind. It's not easy. The Christian life is messy. But we must press into it with wisdom and discernment, seeking to abound more and more in love. C.S. Lewis writes, there is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and anxieties of love... We all want to write this down, right? Where's the one place I could be perfectly safe? Outside of heaven? Hell. We didn't want to know that. But Lewis lets us know that outside of those places, it isn't safe. It can be messy. But as God's people, when we continue to abound in love more and more, may God and His kindness continue to grow us together, that as a church, we are unified and loving, humble That the gospel is continuing to transform us, and when it's not doing so, we're honest and letting someone know. I see you expressing great love towards me right now, and I'm having a real difficulty expressing that back to you. That's a little bit awkward. I can imagine if somebody said that to me, I'd have a little bit of a hard time with that. But I would know how to pray for them, I would know how to pray for myself. So let us as a church be honest to know who needs to grow in love, who we need to grow in love towards. There's times we know who that is and others we don't. Guys, if you're married, I would start with your wife. Wives, you know where we're gonna go. I would start with your husband. Is there a way in which you can grow in love towards them? For all of us, we would initially want to start with God. From that will flow love towards others. The more and more that we grow and swell in our love towards God and the gospel, as we remember our sin, our need to repent because of His grace that He has shown on us in our sin to forgive us of our sins and to grant us righteousness instead of the death that we deserved, our hearts swell with love towards God. And hopefully that, as the scriptures show, is extended towards others. As we've been forgiven a massive debt, we extend forgiveness to others. The point of our growing in love is not so that we are just more affectionate with each other. And we distinguish love towards God and others in a way that is appropriate and kind. But the point, as Paul says, that we would be growing in holy living and persevere until the end when we see Jesus, that is what God desires. Not love for love's sake, but love for his sake, his glory, and your eternal eternal joy in Jesus. So not only does Paul pray that the believers would grow in love more and more, but that they would do so until the return of Christ. He prays that the evidence of their growing love would be a holy life that perseveres to the end and the glory of God. This is not a task or discipline that we should ever put the brakes on, as though saying we have grown as much as is possible in love and we can stop now. We're content with where we're at with our level of love. As jokingly said, I'm content with my level of love towards cheeseburgers. If it got any more, it would be a serious problem. But it's not. I'm content with it. But I shouldn't be content in my love for you. And my love for God. Remember the greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And think of your heart, soul, and mind as a land that needs a continual takeover, where you can to grow in the areas of your heart, soul, and mind are increasing that love God and decreasing the areas that love yourself. But it continues until the day we die or Jesus returns. The result is our eternal salvation, eternal life, and ultimately the glory of God. And Paul gives several things that we will just briefly mention as we close. Several results that come of this. Fruit that is given when you are increasing in love towards God and towards others. Doing so and living a holy life, persevering to the end, he says, so that you can approve what is excellent. Approving what is excellent, internally discerning what is right and what is wrong. Your increasing in love has grown you in knowing what is truly good, true, and beautiful in this world. Like a child who grows in their tastes, and you see as they get a little bit older, their taste buds expanding and their palate is growing. Same is true for Christians. Christians. As more of your heart, soul, and mind grows in love for God and others, the more you grow in maturity and have a weightiness, not easily offended or shaken by things, but continuing to grow in approving what is excellent. Internally, you're seeing this, but externally, people are seeing be more pure and blameless as your internal maturity and increasing love is now being seen by others, so that what is evident is the fruit of the Spirit, or as he mentions here, the fruit of righteousness, bearing fruit that coincides with our life, that you may be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness, to the glory and praise of God. And until the day of Christ, until we see him face to face, we're continuing to recognize our need to grow in love, Remember, we said it's not easy. But where do we see a need to grow in our love? Either towards God or towards someone else. Towards God and our relationship with Him. We are what we love. We do what we want. Our hearts are ones that are made to worship. Made to worship God and to love Him supremely. And yet, when He is not what we love supremely, we'll find something else to put in His place. So what is it we find ourselves wanting to do the most? How is it that we can grow in our love towards God? How do you have systems or things in place to check how you are increasing or decreasing in your love towards others and towards God? How will you grow in loving those who are not like you, who might irritate or frustrate you, or even who have wronged you or hurt you? How can you grow in love towards them? Brothers and sisters, by God's grace, would we not be the same in our hearts of love now that we are a year from now? But may we as God's people continue to abound more and more in love towards God and towards one another. This afternoon or this week, on your own or with your family or your life group, maybe come up with ways that you need to grow First in how you love God and then how you love one another. May that be something that encourages your family members as maybe they're some of the ones who you want to grow in love towards or your life group and being helpful and instructive to one another. The gospel is our mark of how to love God and how to love one another. How did God love us? We read it earlier. He sent his only son to die for us How did Jesus show his love for us? He sacrificed his life on the cross for us. He humbly gave his life that we might be unified to God in love. How do we then turn in love towards one another and abound in love more and more for the glory of God until we see Jesus face to face? Would you join me as we pray?